Joe, I'm the liberal. It's kind of funny. <laughs> how is how is their uh, ramble room going? You know, it's kind of been picking up steam lately because we've been doing a lot of uh, cooperative efforts with David Iverson with Cowboy State Politics, and he's sure. got one of the larger political, pod- if not the largest political podcast in the state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, I met him and uh, Ken. Um, gosh, that was probably a year ago, and that was right when Dave started his. And um, I think it's great because they all they all do. Well, Ken and him are kind of in that political realm and like, we'll dive into politics and we're going to talk current events and stuff. But like, you know, if we have brand Beasley on, it's like, we're not talking, uh, politics all the time. So. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I mentioned that last night that you've got a very eclectic podcast. It's Wyoming, whether yeah. it's business or entertainment or politics, sports, whatever's going on. Awesome. So. Cool. Well, I appreciate that, Tom. So, uh, we are recording now. So just letting you guys know, but, uh, uh, this is another Gobi Wyoming round table, but we've got a, uh, friend of the show way back when, uh, a throwback Thursday, as you will, it is Thursday, uh, Tom Kelly, one of our first First ever guest we had on uh, back in 2020, um, who was running you at, at the time you were running for city council. It was Sheridan. city council, <laughs> and you're one of the voices that helped me out. I came in as a complete unknown to the area, and um, lucky for me, the more I got to speak and talk to people, the more popular I became. To the point, election night 2020, the Sheridan Press called me to congratulate me, <laughs> but then. The early votes were counted when nobody knew who I was, and I, you know, fell down to end up being in fifth because like nobody voted for me. Like that's the long-haired professor from Colorado. Forget it. <laughs> and then after the election, I had people going, "You're the long-haired professor." Oh my God, you're going to run again, aren't you? <laughs> no, no, I'm not. You uh, missed your chance. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I don't feel like doing that now. We, uh, Zach and I were very surprised. It was close. You were like, what was it? Like a hundred votes? I think. I think like 80 votes from yeah. making it on there. And yeah. And when they, the initial vote count that evening, I was on. And then, like I said, the yeah. absentee votes trickled in and just kept falling down because I was an unknown when people were voting back in like August and September. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's just how it goes sometimes. But, uh, um, I wanted, I reached out to you last week or this week. Yeah. I reached out to you this week. Sorry to come on because, um, uh, I didn't know I was talking with governor Gordon and he was talking about the latest selection to the uh, superintendent because they had to fill that position due to Barlow leaving. And he's like, well, he's like Tom Kelly, you know, from Sheridan was, you know, one of the three that, uh, was uh, brought up to be appointed. And I was like, no way. I was like, I had Tom on two years ago and I was like, we need to have Tom back on again. So I've got to tell you this story. How that, <laughs> that came out of the blue. I, I was sitting at home. I get a phone call from a uh, Sheridan Knight who's a member of the um, state Republican party. And she says, you know, there's an opening for superintendent. And a few of us think you'd be perfect for it. So I'm like, the school district two superintendent stepped down. Right. No, no, the, the state <laughs> the superintendent. State. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and so I look it up and I said, okay, yeah, sure. I'll apply for it. Right. And then they said, you need to come down to the state central committee meeting in Douglas and present yourself. And they had a dinner on Friday night and then we were supposed to give speeches and do a question and answer on Saturday. Well, I didn't go Friday night. It was my, I have a son who has Down syndrome and it was his ninth birthday party. And I'm not going to miss that for politics. Absolutely. So uh, while everybody's whining and dining and promoting themselves, I'm not even there. <laughs> So I just show up on Saturday in the middle of the meeting and, and literally, if those of you listening, I'm about six foot nine. So I come walking in, I literally duck into the doorway 
and uh, nobody knows who I am. And there are, I believe, 11 other candidates, regulars in the party, people who are well-known. Marty Halverson was like the, the number one pick that everybody figured they would go for. Uh, I gave my speech, talked to people, and came far and away the number one vote getter, the recommendation for the state party. They went from like, who's this outsider to like, yeah, this is our guy. Mm. Absolutely. And, and talk about your head spinning. Just a few days later, I'm in the governor's office talking to him about this job I just learned about six days earlier. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, and I even told him flat out, I, I said, you know, I wasn't sure I wanted to do this job when I walked in here, but I, I can do this. I, I'm sure of it now. He went with Brian Schrader. Um, I, I have to say, I, I think he made a mistake. I, nothing wrong with Brian. I got to meet him. I got to speak to him at the Central Committee. He's a good man. He's a smart man. Um, but I was just looking at the credentials of it. We, we appointed somebody to the superintendent of public instruction. Doesn't work at public schools. Mm. He works at a private school. He doesn't have a degree in education. It's a degree in counseling. So I'm sure he came across as very competent or whatever, but we're talking about me. I have a PhD in political science. I have a master's degree in education. I was a public school teacher for 10 years. I have five children currently in the system right now. Credential-wise, as far and away, head and shoulders, pun intended with my height, head and shoulders above <laughs> the rest of them. So I, I, right away, and here's the, the, the epilogue to all of it, is you know, Governor Gordon called me at home to explain he was going to go a different direction which I was a little surprised I, I, when I saw the, Marty Halverson was the third pick. Mm. Um, so uh, I knew he wasn't going to pick her because of their past history with Marty being very conservative and, you know, throwing the term rhino around and things like that. Sure, yeah. So it was basically between Brian and I. I was surprised he went with Brian and that was the end of it. I started getting calls from Central Committee members an hour after the press release saying, you need to primary him for governor. So we went from like a week ago, me not even knowing in the superintendent position, to they're seriously saying, run against him for governor. You're that popular with the state central committee members. Whoa. And we looked into it. It's five-year residency requirement. I couldn't run if oh. I wanted to. <laughs> so then I said, why don't I just run for the job that I should have gotten in the first place? Yeah. So I'm running for superintendent this year. I, I'm not even sure if Brian wants to do it. Yeah. He agreed to, fi to fill out the year. But nothing against him. Again, he's a good man. He's a good educator. I still think I'm the best for the job. And while my kids are in the school and while I've planted my flag in Wyoming after having fled the People's Republic of Illinois, I don't want to see what happened there happen here. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do it is be hands-on. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the short version of what happened in an entire week. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's, that is crazy because, as you've mentioned, Wyoming is a very, uh, just in general, Wyoming is a very, as you, you pointed out with this, the city council election, you know, very, who's this guy? I don't know you. And then same with uh, the GOP party. Um. I'd love to maybe see your speech um, or maybe your top uh, points you made for the education because man, swaying the Wyoming Republican party and then being the top three, like that's uh, just by walking in, that's impressive. So 81% of the delegates voted yeah. for me. Wow. That's awesome. It, it was, well, what it came down to really was the fact that um, critical race theory has crept into the school system already. Those teaching it claim it's not there because they're not actually teaching the theory. No, they're teaching through the paradigm of it mm. that America is a systematically oppressive and racist country. 
They teach things like white privilege. They teach things like social justice. They're not teaching things like the scientific method and how to do correct grammar, because even correct grammar is now considered in places like California, Illinois, to be white supremacy. So I presented them, yes, I'm from out of state, and I see the direction we're going. I've already seen what happens when this gets its roots into the school system. I understand the language of the left. I know how to counter it. And what I had said to him, there was a real tidal wave of ban CRT. And you've probably heard that. Yeah. And I said, that's a terrible idea. Because if we censor talking, first of all, government censorship of free speech is not a good idea, <laughs> particularly in a state that likes to pride itself on liberty, mm-hmm. unless you don't like what we're saying. Yeah. That's terrible. But what the point I made to them was we need to teach children what critical race theory is, just like any other failed ideology like communism or fascism. So when they were exposed to it later in life, they could identify and say, I know what this is. I know what you're trying to teach me mm-hmm. right now. I'm bad because I'm this color. I'm oppressed because I'm this color. Uh, it, it, it strips away the individualism and the whole idea of a, a free system in America. So in a nutshell, that's pretty much what I said to them. And um, uh, my daughter was there, my 16-year-old daughter, and she says, she was really impressed. That's the leukemia survivor. Yeah. She says, you were the only one who got applause. I'm like, really? <laughs> well, they, they did the polite golf claps at the end, but you were the only one who got interrupted <laughs> like a real, by applause. Like a, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, one of the funny things about me is, um, is you notice sometimes I'll be sitting here talking to your file cabinet instead of you. I, I, I'm on the autistic spectrum. So like eye contact is something I have to force myself to do. So every time they applauded or cheered while I was talking, I was thinking to myself, stop interrupting me. I've got a time limit. <laughs> it's not even, um, it's not even registering my head. Right. Like, oh, they like what I'm saying. I'm like, you're interrupting me. Stop that. <laughs> um, I was very appreciative afterwards, but yeah, it went really well like that. Awesome. Well, and um, I'm glad you brought up critical race theory because that's something we talked in here in this office um, because I was concerned as well as you, your point was spot on about, I can't remember if it was in the Senate or the house. doesn't matter because it didn't, they killed it. But, um, someone had proposed, you know, banning critical race theory in schools. And I'm like, well, that's the complete opposite direction that we want to go. And I love that answer from you, Tom, on, no, we need to teach what it is. So that way our kids know what it is and then they can identify it later on in life and, you know, just be educated. (laughs) Exactly. We don't ban talking about Nazism in schools because it's a bad ideology. We teach kids what it was. Mm -hmm. And when people start doing things like, we, we need to round up the unvaccinated because they spread disease. It's like, look at history. This type of language has been used before about making people others. Mm-hmm. That's why it's a bad idea to ban talking about anything from history. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, um, I'm glad you, this is awesome. This is like perfect timing. I didn't know that you were going to run for the superintendent. And we were just talking before that. I didn't really even put it together that, um, you know, they have to run anyways for the superintendent job. He was just getting replaced. You know, they were just replacing Barlow anyways, but, um, we're going to get into a lot of the state stuff, Tom, that we were prepared, uh, that we prepped for. Um, and we've got some other education stuff. So this is great that we have you on here. Um, but Tyler, what's up? What a great start to this one, huh? This is awesome. <laughs> um, so, uh, we've got Tyler in our blockchain expert from cryptonomics now. Yeah. Um, 
people were telling me how much they love the blockchain because the first one we did was just straight, what is blockchain? You know, what has Wyoming done in blockchain? And it was kind of just, what are some avenues that we could look into with blockchain and cryptocurrency? Uh, the governor had made a mention about you know, Wyoming and ag producers using it to our advantage with like something like climate change, you know, make it look, you know, we're doing carbon capture and things like that. And which I was like, well, that's a very smart, you know, if, if that's where the public's going on, you know, climate change and things like that, let's use carbon capture and blockchain to, you know, push both of those things. But today we're going to talk about proof of staking. Um, and it's, and I think in the crypto word, they use POS. Is that right, Tyler? Yes, so, which is correct. confusing because that's, another yeah sometimes we use that to mean for other else. other yeah. things uh so but uh, uh proof of staking tyler you were trying to explain this to me the other day but then um cryptonomics now sent out an article on it and that really helped me kind of like okay uh i, I i'm like 50 percent there so um when someone says proof of staking in blockchain what are they talking about um it's important to take a step back and understand what proof of work is because everyone's familiar with yeah. Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of these, uh, you know, one of the biggest cons in, re in relation to cryptocurrency is how much energy it uses, right? It's, it's uh, just sucking the world dry. You know, if you put Bitcoin mining as a whole, it utilizes more energy than all of Finland. Like those are the type of statistics they say. But why that's important is, when they're solving, uh, when they're doing, uh, when they're completing Bitcoin mining, they're doing it in a fashion that's called proof of work. So the amount of work, the amount of hash power, the amount of uh, electricity that you're providing to the network in order to solve the blockchain and to legitimize and verify all of the transactions on the blockchain, the more effort and work you put in, the more work you put in, the more you're rewarded, right? So to combat the biggest con of Bitcoin and its uh, consumption of energy, um, these other uh, cryptocurrencies have a thing called proof of stake. And what this does is it, uh, it kind of makes uh, people investing in a specific cryptocurrency, it, it, it makes them put a little skin in the game. And what they have to do is they have to have a token or they have to have some of the cryptocurrencies that they're, that they're trying to mine or accumulate, right? And every, every token that they have um, kind of gives them a verification that not when you're doing proof of work, everybody's working on a problem and everyone gets uh, rewarded equally depending on how much work they put in. But in proof of stake, the reward is given at random. So if everyone's working on a pool, only one or two people will get the reward for solving a block. But you're more likely to get a reward the more that you're staking in that cryptocurrency. So the more you have tied up in a specific currency that you're mining, the better chance that you're going to get the overall reward of the entire block if you're mining. Um, and then from proof of stake from an uh, investor's perspective, then it's uh, more that, hey, cryptocurrency is very volatile, right? And if I have a new crypto um, coming out and I don't want that volatility, one way to solve that is to entice users to stake it themselves in, in their wallet or to hold on to it 
to reduce that volatility. And then we'll give you an annual reward of 5% or 2%. So it encourages investors that, hey, don't don't be day trading our, our cryptos because that hurts us in the development. Stake in it, put some investing in it, and then you'll be rewarded down the yeah. line. Yeah. In short, I guess, to if you want to do a quick explanation to somebody, you know, how, how cryptos got started was like, you were talking about the mining, right? I, yep. uh, I can remember 10 years ago seeing the YouTube videos of dudes getting all these, you know, their servers and their stuff nodes, running, yep. yeah, running yep. electricity. And that's what you're talking about is the proof of work. Exactly. Um, and, and heating their homes with it. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, the developments now and like the cryptocurrency news that's really, uh, dominating the headlines is the fact that Ukraine opened up two wallet addresses and said, Hey, anyone that wants to donate, come donate. Well, they've already gotten $50 million from globally. So that's going to, you know, now the way of financing projects and humanitarian crises and stuff might migrate to that. Mm -hmm. On the other side, like how is Ukraine going to buy weapons? Well, through Bitcoin, which is also one of the cons that, Hey, it's leading to money laundering and it's leading to all these bad things. Well, now you're getting the positive of that, but to put it in layman's terms, Proof of work, the amount of work that you put to a network, you get rewarding, you get rewarded as such. Yep. And you have to put in an astronomical amount of energy, right? right. With proof of stake, it reduces the, the need for um, the energy, you know, and you're staking into a long-term investment mm. or you're, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking into this a little bit, so I didn't come in completely with my pants yeah. down. <laughs> Love it. Um, proof of work, as you said, I, I understand uses much more energy. Proof of stake is much more efficient in terms of time and energy. But I read there were concerns about security versus proof of work. Could you speak to that? Absolutely. So, um, so on a decentralized network, the power of the decentralized network is everyone that has a computer, has a phone, has any connection to that Bitcoin network, transactionally uh, investing, any way that they're tied into the proof of work Bitcoin, that proof of work has millions of nodes that are mining um, that specific cryptocurrency. So every node is a digital receipt. And, you know, all those workers are, are producing all this work and they're legitimizing the network all of the time consistently. Proof of stake, it doesn't happen. Uh, you don't have as many checks and balances because everyone on a proof of work is legitimizing those transactions from a mining perspective. You don't have that type of oversight on a proof of stake because they're only rewarding those blocks to, to specific people. Um, and the pa- and the hash power and, and that type of stuff isn't generated uh, mm. like it would be for proof of work. Gotcha. That was a great question because I, after you sent that proof of stake, you know, uh, Coinbase sent me a thing of like I could put some stake in like Ethereum or whatever, and I've got whatever it is like three bucks, whatever. Um, but now that so because it's safer or well could be safer. It's not as risky as just going straight into a coin. Um, but now it's like well, but security reasons, someone could 
you know, essentially hack your coin hack, purse possibly. Yeah, yeah hack, hack, hack my stake. You and know, you're seeing that. Yeah. You're seeing. I mean, this is the, the criminals are always smarter and a step ahead, right? Mm -hmm. So they're finding the. It's really hard to uh, hack a decentralized network like Bitcoin, but a proof of stake, people are going to find a way to to yeah. to do that. So if there are any uh, vulnerabilities, they're going to find it. Yeah. And you know, you don't want those type of vulnerabilities in a Bitcoin at 40,000. Those type of vulnerabilities need to be worked out on coins that are less than a penny or, you know, the smaller ones, which typically resort to proof of stake. Um, just for numerous reasons to get getting people to come mine on your specific cryptocurrency when bitcoin's 40,000 that's uh you have to put in pretty lucrative package so right that's proof of stake it really rewards miners for as much as they mine and they stake it they get rewarded down the line very cool huh well that makes that just keeps adding to the conversation yeah. so uh um i like this i love the We'll just keep building that was a on good the question. Uh, Thanks blockchain. For that. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Um, do you guys have anything else to add in regards to blockchain in Wyoming? You know, I think, uh, like I just mentioned, you know, Governor Gordon mentioned kind of some blockchain using blockchain for, you know, agriculture really it was kind of his, his push. But, um, uh, I don't think there's anything right now crypto wise in this session because it, it's a budget session. So they've got a lot of other things to deal with. So yeah, th there's been some movement to make like Wyoming, like the cryptocurrency capital of the country. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how much movement's been made on that. I don't know what type of state incentives they could put forth, but like they're not even currently really talking about that yeah. right now. Yeah. The, the only talk I've seen is the development of our own coin, a stable coin, but it's kind of like, I don't know what, like you'd have to invest money. Like the state would have to invest money into that. And I just don't think we're Probably in the position. Probably be a DAO, like yeah. a DIA. Yeah. So, um, organization, but to that point, uh, Wyoming, you know, Wyoming doesn't classify them as capital assets. So that's us. And I think Florida are like two of the only States that haven't defined them as capital assets. And that's result that, I mean, Capital gains is also, gonna, yeah, the, yeah the so that's yeah. a huge, yeah, yeah. So, and it's been lucrative in getting uh, uh, banks, like uh, they have these crypto banks that will operate like banks and uh, um, like the Kraken. Yep. They have, they've been doing a very good job of um, getting blockchain technologies, uh, companies and crypto investors here. So that's the good thing. We'll see where that turns out, yeah. but that's the main reason why it takes off so well is the legislation here is pretty lucrative for blockchain and crypto and uh, they haven't defined it as a capital asset yet. Yep. Which, yeah, that's Whereas the majority of the United States does. Which is good. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Tax, tax haven there. So um, wonderful. All right. Well, uh, before we hit the heavy hitters, the, the, all the state, uh, bills and things going on right now. Um, shout out real quick to our sponsors. Uh, of course, we're in the DYT Solutions studio in Tyler's office. We've got all the cool people on the wall. Anyone new, Tyler, from the last time I was in here? No. I don't think so. Um, Salvador Dali, I think. Is the new one over there? <laughs> Home Alone. Oh, I just noticed that one. Quentin Tarantino. Um, anyway, so yeah, DYT solutions. If you're a business or uh, somebody that has a brand, um, have you guys ever done any political campaigns? 
No. Oh. No, we have not. No. <laughs> I don't know if Tom. Neither have I, really. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but DYT Solutions, they help us out. Um, Fly Sheridan, I was just talking with the team here. Uh, Fly Sheridan, uh, Book your direct flight from Sheridan to Denver at United.com, operated by SkyWest Airlines and United. Um, there's going to be a sweet little billboard outside of um, Buffalo, and the tagline is skip the drive, fly out of Sheridan. So uh, this air service has gotten a lot more reliable out of, out of here Uh from years past. Um, and lastly, find sight and sound. If you want uh, home audio, visual networks, home security systems, video systems, find sight and sound is your company to go to. So, um, couldn't do this show without our sponsors. So, all righty. Um, Tom, what do you want to hit first? We have kind of a wide range of items going on right now. Well, one of the first things we talked about, you'd mentioned in that email was the, um, the proposal for the hydrogen hub. Mm, yeah. That Wyoming's looking to work with, I believe, uh, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, I think, mm-hmm. and put together this big proposal for $8 billion of federal money to build a hydrogen hub. So I looked into this a little bit further. And this is actually goes back to what I was talking to at the Central Committee, this whole idea that, and I talked to the governor about this when I was interviewing with him, Wyoming has to break its addiction to federal money. The state is losing its sovereignty. It's increasingly being run by the departments in D.C. because they dangle money like a dog treat over us and we start jumping for it. And then they make you do tricks for that dog treat, too. So I, I was looking at this, the $8 billion, we hear the, the typical things. Oh, well, jobs and investment and economic growth, they always sound so wonderful. But then you read, it says, well, the secretary is going to give priority to projects that expand access to electric vehicle charging infrastructure in rural areas and low and moderate income areas. Hmm. So part of what we have to do is put together this dog and pony show. We get rewarded with $8 billion to do whatever, building the hydrogen hub, but we also have to put in electric car, car charging stations in rural Wyoming. <laughs> We're, you, you've got 1994 Dodge diesels running around. I mean, how many... Priuses, do you see driving uh, out in the middle of rural Wyoming? Mm. Well, most of Wyoming is really rural. Uh, so my general feeling on this is the state is absolutely going the wrong direction again. Instead of looking internally to keep our finances in order, we are again going to the money printing machine of the federal government and saying, print us out $8 billion so we could spend it and, and we'll do whatever you ask then. What, whatever hoops we have to jump through, whatever strings are attached to it. And I don't know if Wyoming's trying to just become, you know, like Colorado Jr., but that's what's going to happen mm. if we increasingly have the feds calling the shots for the state. I moved here for a reason. And it, it's terrifying for me to see the politicians at the top of the chain, food chain saying, let's do everything Illinois did. Let's do everything California did. Let's do everything Colorado did for all that federal money. But here come all the federal rules with it. You're not going to recognize the state anymore. Right. What, 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 uh, did they specify what, cause I think it said middle to low income areas, right? It, it, yeah. Low to moderate income areas. Um, no specification of what those were. Ah, so, so we, we get take it to the feds and then they just get to tell us if that's, uh, then who's ever the secretary at that time. And that department says makes the rules. Yeah. And then it has the force of law. And I'm guessing the only place that wouldn't be moderate to low income would be what Jackson. Yeah. 
Oh, maybe well, parts of Sheridan? I was going to say, well, and I, there's probably parts of Cheyenne, too, and I'm thinking Sheridan, Cheyenne, Jackson are probably the only ones that have people that drive Priuses Actually drive electric and, cars, and te- right, with their yeah. California plates, right? <laughs> um, I guess it's going to go to a different state then. I mean, you know, I don't... I don't uh, that's interesting. Well, I can understand but, encouraging, like, the infrastructure of electric vehicles, like, on the major causeways, you know, like, that would make sense, but putting it in Ranchester... Yeah, I am with my fellow brother in the autistic spectrum disorder, Elon Musk, who said there is absolutely no reason to put any federal money into infrastructure. Tesla builds their own. If there's a demand, private industry will build it. Yep. There's no reason the federal government has to get involved in this. The, the federal government didn't get involved in putting gas stations all over the country. They didn't need to because there was a demand for it. I think Musk is completely correct. When electric vehicles are carrying their own weight, there's no need for federal subsidies. Mm-hmm. I agree. What do you think of the the EJA then, um, you know, infrastructure wise for us trying to go after some of those grants? Uh, the governor mentioned like, um, oh, shoot, what's the Flaming Gorge Dam? Um, anyways, well, he said that dam is breaking. Uh, I-80, of course, is always just, I don't know if you've ever driven Tom to Rock Springs, but I-80 is terrible. Um, and then irrigation systems across the state, you know, what, uh, how, yeah, what do you think of the EJ, the EJ stuff? And the money coming from, whether it's coming from the Department of Transportation, it's coming from the Department of Labor, the Interior, whatever, the state leaders have to be very judicious and look through what the fine print is. Mm. Because quite often, that's how Wyoming for one time had a 55 mile an hour speed limit because they wanted that transportation money, but the Fed said you have to lower your speed limit down to 55 miles per hour to get it. it. It's not a bad idea to take federal money when there are block grants, when there's legislation like something for I-80, which is an interstate, goes across many different states. The federal government has every reason to be uh, keep doing the upkeep on something like that. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about energy production, if there's a dam or something like that that needs upgrading, well, that's when federal money makes sense. Right. But when we start talking about putting in the infrastructure for electric cars, when there's no demand for electric cars, well, this is just pie in the sky. We're going to save the world with climate change legislation. Mm. Yeah. Instead, and, and I, I think what we should be doing is just investigating hydrogen power, you know, not, not necessarily setting up infrastructure for electric cars. You know, um, this is called the hydrogen hub. It's like, well, are we looking into how we're developing hydrogen power or are we just. And that's part of it too. They, they would also be looking for infrastructure for like hydrogen, uh, refueling hydrogen fuel cells. Right. Um, but again, this is a technology that probably doesn't need government intervention. If anything, the history has been when you start getting federal subsidies in any industry, it slows progress down to a glacial pace because people get their research and development grants. And if they complete their project, they stop getting the grant. Thus, the incentive is to draw these things out forever. When there's a profit incentive, the companies are jumping over each other to be the first to the market and do something. But when there's a spigot of federal money coming in, sure, and it's why there's been like hardly any advances in solar panels in 40 years. Right. Yeah. And that's true. I remember when I was in oil and gas, it's, you know, uh, uh, solar and wind, there's been no 
big, I should say big gains, right? There hasn't been any exponential gains in those, in those technologies. So, um, meanwhile, the oil industry learned how to get tight oil and frack and do all sorts of things mm-hmm. that back in the 1980s, it's, there's no way to get that oil. Yeah. Now it just comes out of the shale and it comes there. Yeah. Whatever I, problems people have with it. Again, the free market was able to devise a way to do right. it. Yeah. And we've had, we've had ESAL engineered salinity, a Wyoming startup that they've come up with a new way to even go into those fracked wells and they claim they can get about uh, 40, depending on the well, 40 to 70% out of those wells, which is insane to me. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's, it's insane. Um, especially it, at the price it is now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need to call them up and see how they're doing. I think they're, I think they're doing pretty good right now. Um, let's see. What else did... Uh, no, that's great. Yeah, infrastructure. Those, those were great points. Um, all right. Some little... Some nitty-gritty stuff here. Um, let's just keep it on education. So I don't know if you had time to look at this one, uh, Tom, cause this was kind of a little late from the, uh, newsletter this week was Senate file 62. Um, and I don't, if you've read it, that'd be great. Cause I couldn't tell if it was, um, requiring the school districts to post it or if it was requiring individual teachers to post their curriculum for the public to see. I, I looked through the bill and it looked like it was for the um, districts having their websites, what the curriculum would be, what okay. the textbooks would be, the activities. In spirit, it looks like a good idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know why school districts wouldn't already be communicating yeah. to their customers what they're teaching their kids, but as we found out the hard way during the COVID pandemic, when a lot of schools went online, some parents fortunately slash unfortunately heard some of the things their children were being taught via Zoom. And that's what led this demand that parents really should know what's going on. And we found out there were educators really camouflaging some of the things they were teaching their students. Right. Um, telling them the the, the critical race theory type stuff. That's really what it was when these kids were coming back and saying, well, you know, my teacher said I'm privileged because I'm white and my parents are married. So, you know, therefore we do things in school where I'm, I go to the back of the line because I'm privileged and you know, parents are absolutely horrified to hear this type of thing. So this bill, I looked at it, um, Senate file 62 and it, it's pretty vague. And I always get worried about a state mandate That's vague. It looks like something that the districts would just circumvent anyway by they would make sure their website was updated. I don't know how you enforce it. I don't know how you verify. Do we send state officials into districts to spy and see if they're actually teaching what they say they're teaching? I'm not sure the effect of this, but in general, there should be encouragement that districts do openly not only make available what the curriculum is, but... That's enough of this, this, this COVID excuse that parents can't come in and watch anymore. All public schools, upon verification that the people coming into the school are, you know, not a danger to the students. Yep. I don't see why no, any parent should be able to say, listen, I want to come in and see how my child's doing in school today and why teachers and administrators wouldn't be like, welcome, come on in. I don't know how many people would want to sit through another sixth grade class, but <laughs> these are things that my own wife is, my, my, we have a daughter with severe ADHD and she's been having, having difficulties and she says, well, I'd like to come and see how she performs in the classroom. And then the school's like, no, um, the transparency should be wide open. The parents are paying the bills. It's our children in there. The whole idea that we can't see what they're being taught makes no sense whatsoever. I'm not convinced yet 
that a state law mm. would fix that. Yeah. Just by mandates don't always work. Bans don't always work. I mean, meth is illegal. You can get that anywhere, I guess. But just, just, just waving the legislative wand doesn't fix something. Yeah. So they might have to think this through a little bit more rather than just put up a quick law that says you must put this on your website. <laughs> You hit a lot of things there that I, I love. So my wife is at the high school and she works the front desk and a couple things that you just mentioned in regards to this problem, right? Of if a, if a parent is concerned with the curriculum, one, I think, I think most school districts, uh, if you ask them either it's on their website or they will provide you the curriculum, which is kind of what you said, like they should already have this. this. This shouldn't be like, absolutely. This, this shouldn't be a surprise. If someone's ever asking the public school, like I want to know what your curriculum is Two, as long as you're not a danger to the students, I, you know, that's, I think that's a big point. You should be able to come in and watch your, your, uh, your child's, you know, education. Um, but you said it in a way that, because I think the parents that are on this, this, push that are probably very big fans of this, this bill. Um, they've been concerned, right? They've, like you said, they were on the zoom calls. They've seen some things, right? I think the problem is, is we get, like you said, we start getting on, we get emotional and then you get very, uh, how do I, uh, combative, I guess, to the school district. And it's like, well, when you get combative with the school district, they're probably not going to play ball with you very well. Cause if you're being, um, if you're not being very civil, it's like, well, now you're not going to come into, the, you know, um, if that makes sense. So, but how you worded that Tom was great of like, and I guess I'm trying to make a very long point here, but parents should be involved is what I'm getting at because my wife sees kids with no parents involved, right? Which that's a whole other discussion. But if you are a concerned parent, it's like, look, you, I guarantee you, you can call the Sheridan County school district too, and they can provide you or someone could help you find the curriculum for what's supposed to be taught. If you call your teachers and go to your school, I guarantee you they'll let you, now you got to be respectful and say what, you know, why you're coming in and watching. Like I guarantee you they'll let you come in and watch. Um, so, um, so I agree with you hundred percent. I, I saw this and I was like, again, this is kind of like the critical race theory bill that they were trying to put in there too. It's like, do we really need this? You know, our public schools should have curriculum somewhere, you know, for the public. Right. And there's to be some form of recourse too. Let's say you go into the curriculum and you find out they're teaching some radical loony neo-Marxist stuff instead of actual education. And then who do you go and complain right. to at that point? Do you go to a an obtuse school board who says, hey, listen, we're elected, we're the, we're, the, we're the professionals, you parents have no say in this. And we've seen this in other states where teachers, unions, teachers, and school boards are like, no, no, parents are unqualified to say what their kids are learning. We're the experts. That's the other end of the spectrum. They say, we, we know what we're doing. You parents, mm -hmm. idiots, go away. We'll, we'll teach your kids to hate you. I mean, we'll teach your kids to yeah. think the way they're <laughs> supposed to. Um, so it, it should be open. And parents, you're right. If they're upset with something, you have to learn how to not be confrontational, to lay out your concerns. But at the same time, school boards that are not responsive to parents, the school, the Sheridan District 2 school board has been so bad, which I had people literally begging me to run for, I was going to run for school board here. I had all sorts of people, Dr. Kelly, please run for school board. We need somebody who actually listens to parents, um, which I'm not because I'm running for superintendent instead. Yep. I figured I'd take a step up higher. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to try and do something. <laughs> and 
I've seen their meetings online. I've seen the way they cut off parents. I've seen the way they go into the executive session where no one's allowed to listen. I've seen them talk about how everybody's allowed to have their say while they're on a YouTube call where the comments are closed at the bottom. Um, That's not a responsive district. So parents and voters should be attuned to what the school districts are doing, what the school boards are doing. Mm -hmm. And if you have non-responsive boards, they should be voted out. Yep. Yeah. And, um, that was something Zach and I hit on way back in 2020 because the uh, two of those school board you know positions were open at that time and um, so anyways when all this was happening Zach and I were like well this is why we were talking about it fellas is because you know uh, anyways I don't want to get into the school board thing but um, you met the two things again was the school board's got to be responsive and then the the parents you know try and not be combative and be respectful but you know you also mentioned you know when it comes election time. This is where, you know, parents, you know, if they were unresponsive or they, you know, whatever, you know, vote them out. Yep. pay attention. Yes. Pay attention what's going on with your kids. Pay attention what's going on with the schools. And then you won't be so horrifically surprised sometime (laughs) if something, this has been going on for three years. Where where have you been for three years? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Anything on that, Tyler? (laughs) Yeah, actually. Yeah. uh, so you have identified the problem with our with the school board not being responsive as the superintendent. Is that something you would have, you know, you could uh, provide a solution for? Like, what what would be some solutions for that type of opening up the comments, more public? Well, how would how would you fix that problem? Well, one of the things is that as um, a member of the executive team in the state, not a dictator. Uh, There's uh, rulemaking abilities of the superintendent, but I would really like to first foremost lead by example and communicate with school boards and communicate more directly to voters of Wyoming. I need you to go speak with your own school boards. Yeah. I need you to be respectful adults and make sure they're teaching things they should be teaching or not teaching things or removing principals who are, are apathetic when they've got teachers who are out of line. Um, we had a teacher in Sheridan High School who was like online on Facebook singing uh, Antifa songs. And, and, and uh, I'm not going to name names on it, but I'm like, I can't believe this. In the middle of Wyoming, this is a taxpayer-funded employee. So it, it, get back to your question as a superintendent. I'm not a fan of top-down rules, you will or else. Again, it goes against the whole concept of moving to Wyoming to live in self-determination and liberty. Local communities are the ones who should be in charge of their local schools. Now, at the same time, there's, there's guidance, support, oversight from the state, but it can't be a dictatorship either. So we have to be working to encourage not just the school boards, but encourage people Maybe have some type of statewide awareness campaign. Parents, are you aware of what your school's teaching? Yeah. Go look. It's okay. You're supposed to. It's okay. You're a parent. You can keep tabs on your kids. Uh, But but how many parents have been told, (laughs) we're the experts, get out? That happens. Especially, as you said, the COVID excuse, right? This, right. You know, we're, we're in class at home on Zoom, you know, um, and, you know, we can get into that whole bag of weeds too, but... Um, like kids getting suspended for having toy guns on screen? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that always cracks me up. It's like, they're at home. Like, what are we... <laughs> but um, uh, what was I going to say? I will say, like you said, uh, local, you know, the communities, because like um, Sheridan... 
you know, I think like a Sheridan parent doesn't need to be concerned what's going on in Natrona, right? Cause that's, that's a different district and that's a different, you know what I mean? Like, so, cause I know Casper had, they had big, you know, meetings too about mass and things like that. Uh, probably, I think they're probably bigger and worse than here, but, um, anyway, so that, no, that was great. Well, there are also the, the rural counties too, you know, that don't have, not that Wyoming really has any major urban centers, but you've got the city of Sheridan, you've got the city of Casper, you've got other counties that don't really have any major urban center. And almost all the students are agriculture. Some are going remote. Many are homeschooling at that point. There were opportunities there for the state to be able to support parents who'd like to homeschool mm. just because they don't want their kid on a bus for two hours a day, 10 hours a week going back and forth to someplace. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's not really ju- it's not really just the so-called urban centers in Wyoming either. We have to look at too. We have to make accommodations and, and leave that flexibility for the agricultural and the ranching communities too. Yeah, wonderful. Would you is that you speaking on school choice, or are you just saying just in, in general we sh- we should have resources for these students? Well, when school choice, what do you mean by that? Because I know like Colorado has public school choice where you're allowed to pick the public school you go to, but mm. you don't get funds to go to a private school. Gotcha. Okay. Well, what's the push here? Anytime someone says we're, we're for a school choice, I guess that would be for private schools, I guess. And homeschooling. Too. Yeah. And homeschooling. Yeah. Um, I've got mixed feelings on that. I love the idea of the public money following the students and the families. Right. So they are not trapped in a public school. that stinks. They can go where they'd like to, or they could even use those resources to educate their children. Because right now we have homeschooling parents who pay their money for a public school, don't use it, and then pay their own money to homeschool their kid at the same time. Um, if we believe in providing an education for all kids publicly, then kids who are homeschooled or in a public school should be able to get some support. There's a big but that comes with that. Yeah. Though. Quite often legislation is crafted that says, well, we've got this set of standards and the local school district or the local politicians will have to certify or approve Uh. of whatever curriculum is being taught. Now we just open the door to the state to literally come in your home and see what you're teaching your kids. And that's absolutely unacceptable. Very cool. No, that was great. I just, you know, that's always, someone will always throw that out, right? When we start talking education, school choice, it's like, well, as you just walked us through, there's different levels of choice, right? Quote unquote choice. So, uh, wonderful. Okay. Uh, last couple things, guys. That's great. This is awesome. Um, uh, election integrity stuff that, uh, is floating around still. We have, um, Oh no, let's keep this on. Sorry. Uh, kind of education and sports here. Um, Senate file 51, Tom, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And Tyler, we haven't talked about this either on our sports stuff, but, uh, Senate file 51. Um, and I think it's still, it's in committee or it's on the floor now, or I guess it'd be in the Senate. Um, I don't think it's been killed yet, but, uh, it would be prohibiting biological males, um, to participate in female sports. Um, my first question right away being a coach was, um, should this be up to the state and in the high school association? And then it's like, well, how do we police this? You know? So, but, um, that's interesting that we've got, well, it's not a surprise to me, but it's interesting that we've, it's gone through committee. What's interesting to me is we've gotten to the point where it's, it became unacceptable to pose the idea of taller, more muscular males 
deciding to identify differently, not even having gone through any type of physical transition other than maybe growing their hair and putting on some makeup and winning track competitions in Connecticut. And if you say something about it, you're transphobic, you're a bigot, the name calling starts, there's no speaking whatsoever. I made this point to somebody one time about me playing um, in the WNBA. And I said, listen, it is fair. I mean, if I go on hormone therapy and I bring my testosterone levels down, I'm still six foot nine because I'm a male. Whoops, wait, yeah, so you can't change the physical structure of somebody who went through puberty as a male. The bone structure is different. You can artificially bring testosterone levels down. I don't understand how it became transphobic to just point out the biological reality that men in general are faster and stronger than women in general. Of course, we find super athlete women and you see lots of guys who can't get off a couch, but we're just talking about in general. And how this gets mixed up with the whole idea of accepting people who want to live their lives differently. That if a man decides that he wants to identify and live as a female, that's that person's right. But at the same token, if that person also decides now he wants to go into fighting women in boxing, now we stepped over a line here because you have the right to present and live any way you want to. But there's a reason we carved out sports for men and women. Why we had, why we had the, uh, the Civil Rights Act, why we got Title IX, we've got the, all these ideas that women's sports were supposed to be to give them equal opportunity to succeed and have professional careers and win scholarships. And now you have girls who've worked their butts off their whole lives losing scholarships to males who couldn't make it in boys sports. Mm-hmm. Now, so in principle, I mean, I, I can't even believe it's an issue. Of course, boys shouldn't be in girls sports. Yeah. But you go down to Colorado and they will say, but she's a girl. She says she's a girl, so she's a girl. And I'm the one who says, well, she's still six foot six. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, I don't know how the state exactly would enforce this type of thing. The devil's in the details when it comes to that. It it says here that the superintendent is the one who makes the rules. So if I get elected, I'll have direct rulemaking abilities and that type Mm. of thing. So uh, I'm very interested in that. Do you you agree with that? If you were, say you were elected superintendent, do you agree that you should have that over, you know, kind of power of, um, you know, I, I, that's weird to me because then that's, I guess that is still sports though, but um, that one person has that decision, you know? Um, the rulemaking abilities, there, there should be in the legislation, there should be some guidelines within some parameters that, yeah, yeah let, let the executive at that point implement and work out the details. Just don't give a blank slate. Yeah. The, the legislation should never be like that. Our, our U.S. Congress does that. They say, okay, we're going to pass this in the law, and then we give it to the, the Department of Justice, and then they make all the rules or the health and human services. States shouldn't do that either. Say, okay, we don't want boys and girls sports. Now you guys figure out the details. There's mm-hmm. got to be a little bit more thought going into the legislation for yeah. some accountability for the elected officials too. Awesome. Well, and I, um, I, I, I 100% agree with everything you said on it. Like I, like, like I said, I'm kind of shocked that it's still being discussed because it's kind of like, 
one, is this even a problem here in Wyoming? I don't think it is, but, um, like there's that guy that's a swimmer right now in the Ivy league. And I just can't believe the NCAA is still letting him swim. I'm just and the girl athletes. And have, you are now a bigot. Cause you didn't say letting <laughs> her swim. I know. <laughs> well, sorry, letting her swim, but it's this, he, uh, she's had teammates talk about that. It's not fair that you've got other record winning NCAA college swimmers that are just like, like you said, work their butts off to get there. And the NCAA is just letting her take all these records and wins. And I just, I can't and, believe and not, it. not even close. And not even close. That's, that's the thing. Right Win, there. Winning by entire laps. And anybody who tries and tell you, tells you that like, you know, transgender women are women, transgender men are men. I will buy that argument when there are transgender men dominating in men's sports. But right now it is men transitioning to women are taking over cycling and running and weightlifting and swimming. And I have yet to see a woman transition to be a man and take over a male sport. Yep. No, a hundred percent. And it's even, it's even to the point with that swimmer where they're investigating to see if, if she threw a race because they because she got second. Right. Right. To and get now the pressure off. Exactly. So, and it's like, what are we doing anyway? So, um, that's fascinating. So we're going to, I know you'll keep an eye on that one because of, you know, what, you know, what are the details going to be of it? Like, is it just going to be a grand, like just, uh, <laughs> um, you know, the superintendent just gets to d- dictate the rules, you know, that, cause that is interesting. But well, uh, another point too, you might have a case where like a school does not have a girl's wrestling team and there's a girl who's really good at wrestling. Right. You don't want the rules to trip that up. Now she can't participate because we can't have a crossover. Mm-hmm. I think this bill specifically says no males in female sports though. Okay. It doesn't say no female, female in- like, you know, like you get a, a, a girl who turns out to be a heck of a quarterback or place kicker or something like that. We wouldn't want to trip anybody up who really wants to compete at that level, but we don't want our boys getting cut from the basketball team and then going and trying out for the girls team. Right. Yep. I was going to say uh, a Sheridan athlete that could have done that was Robbie Ryan. She could have played football and anyway, so <laughs> yeah, so hundred percent, we don't want that, but, uh, um, okay. Last couple things, uh, Tom is, um, the, uh, house bill 52, um, and Senate file 97, not sure which one you want to start with, but, um, house bill 52, um, is, uh, Oh, um, cut, cutting off the, the timeline for absentee ballots. Um, I believe is, is what that's intended to do. And then Senate file 97 is a uh, party switching, um, from, um, for the primaries. Um, you know, you know, my, my big question really, and Tyler, we kind of mentioned this was, is this real, are these really big issues that we need to be pushing right now in Wyoming or, um, are some of these kind of warranted? Do you think? All right. Um, House Bill 52, that's the counting absentee ballots early okay. before election day. Okay, perfect. I, I don't see the purpose for it. This is, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yep. Um, I don't know why they have to tinker with this. There are concerns about early returns getting leaked, those types of things. That's a possibility. Just put them, lock them up, count them with the rest of the votes yeah. later. I don't, see, I don't see the purpose of that one. I like that. If it's not broke, don't, don't try and fix it. Now, Senate file 97, crossover voting. I've got mixed feelings on this. We do have instances, like the current governor, when he ran in the primary, two-thirds of Republicans voted against him. But he got a plurality to the vote. We don't know how many Democrats actually crossed over. We don't know how many independents registered as Republicans for that day to get one of the most liberal Republicans nominated. Conservatives in the state are very concerned about the conservative vote being roughly two-thirds of the Republican vote. 
yet moderates, or as they call them, rhinos, keep getting elected because the conservative vote gets split up among three or four conservatives, and then independents and Democrats rally behind the most liberal Republican, and then in the general election, we have a Democrat versus a liberal Republican in a state that's mostly conservative. Mm. So now what is the banning crossover voting? In principle, I don't like it because it's telling people when and how they could identify in which parties. Political affiliation is something the government should not be able to tell people. If somebody changes their mind on election day and says, I'm now a Republican. Okay, fine. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I I think they should be able to do that. and And then people say, well, what's your answer to that? Very simple. The runoff election. When Mark Gordon gets one third of the vote, he now has to go to a runoff and he has to go against the next, um, the number two candidate and see if he actually gets that. Now, I've heard people say, well, runoff elections, they're, they're expensive, but these tend to be the same people who say Medicaid expansion is not expensive. Um, <laughs> it, it, what is it worth to have the integrity of the elections? And you could even say it pays for itself because if you would start voting in more conservatives, I bet the state spends less money anyway. Uh, that's just speculation. Yeah. But I like the idea more of a runoff that when you, you take the top two and you have them go head to head if nobody gets 50%. And then the whoever gets nominated will have a majority vote. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And we had that conversation with Bo Biteman because uh, he, he walked oh, us. Oh, I love Bo. Yeah, that's yes. my senator. Yeah. He uh, he walked us through the difference between a runoff versus a crossover. And I agree. I, I like the runoff a lot better in the primaries because like you said, you get... You know, if 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 uh, if Gordon did get the two thirds, then there you go. That's that's the guy or you put him against the, you know, the top two and then let him duke it out. And then that way, when you get to the general, um, we don't have the crossover. So if you want to change your mind on Election Day, then there you go. And so um, also with the runoff, there would uh, the incentive to crossover vote would be gone because what's the point? I might as well vote in the party I identify with, because if I raid the other party's election, they're going to have a runoff anyway. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it eliminates the, the crossover voting essentially in the primary. I like that. Awesome. Um, this is good. Okay. Last thing. Um, did, have you looked into the representative howitzer thing at all, Tom? I did, you know, David Iverson and cowboy state politics really laid it out well. And you have, I, you're, I will say this for our listeners. Um, I like Dave and I've met him and, but, uh, he's, he's a different, uh, a cup of tea. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Cowboy state politics is very conservative <laughs> political politics. We just, yeah. Tra- transparency. I'm all for that. So you're going to lay this out, the, the evidence of this a little bit better than Dave. I, I, I'm just going to lay this out and say that Dave, Dave will definitely have his, David will have his biases on it, but factually he's correct. He laid out that you have somebody who does not live in the district that he represents and then in the process of redistricting, they literally like drew a line around his property yeah. to make him part of his district. It's wild. Right. It's, it's corruption at its finest. And, and when, then he's on the committee for, for redistricting at the state. You know, that's just another argument for term limits. That's all yeah. I could say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not a fan of career politicians and that's the type of dirty stuff you see all the time. I'm more interested in, um, philosophy and principles and policies than I'm parties and politicians. Yes. Parties and politicians just, I mean, we, we could sit here and rip on, we could spend hours just talking about the dirty stuff that goes on about who votes for what, cause they get money for whom and everything like that. That's, 
It's not my cup of tea. I, yeah. I, I like to keep my hands in the, the substance. I, yeah. The substance of what we're doing and, and not, you've got somebody who literally doesn't live in his district. So they retraw the district around his house. Yeah. It, it, and then, and then there's no investigation into it. Nothing to see here. People, yeah. he's one of our buddies. Wild. Um, well, and, uh, I, I had mentioned, I think that that opens up a can of worms in regards to, we've got guys and gals, um, in our legislature that either work for like the university, um, maybe certain, maybe certain departments, uh, K-12, and they sit on committees that, you know, either it's the K-12 budget, uh, appropriations that send money to the university. So I'm like, well, now we're just opening a bag of worms of, you know, I think the best solution would be term limits, but, um, but, uh, anyway, you know, people aren't aware that we've got people that make decisions that like, well, you work for the university and you just appointed money to go to the university. So anyway, so, so, and you've got a, you've got a representative that's on the redistricting committee doing his district. And so, anyway, so, but I mean that, uh, right. And that's just, that's just the nature of politics when yep. it comes down to it. And then of course you have these very slick career politicians who go back and, they know how to use buzz phrases and they know how to say the correct things. And it, it's why legislators tend to have high approval ratings while the actual legislature has a low approval rating because mm. they all go home and say, it's not my fault. I yeah. tried to represent <laughs> you, but those darn people down there <laughs> wouldn't let me. So that's why you see even at the national level, you, you see like individual members of Congress have approval ratings in the 60s and 70s, but Congress is in the teens. Mm. Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> um, well, guys, we went a little longer than I had intended, but that's okay. We had a lot of cover. Um, Tyler, anything else to add on any of that no, stuff? That was there? great. Um, we'll continue doing our blockchain, of course, because um, I think it's important to keep doing it, educating people across the state. Because I think, you know, as Tom mentioned, we are, you know, Wyoming is trying to as best we can, you know, I think it's just such an emerging industry that it's kind of hard, but we are leading the way. We are still one or two States with Florida, you know, yeah. taking the lead on stuff. Um, Tom, this was great having you back on. Um, uh, I'm happy that Gobi wild can announce that. I don't know if it's been official yet, but I'm just going to say we got you first for uh, running for superintendent, state superintendent. So that's awesome. Uh, I'd say uh, my, my, my buddy, David Iverson actually jumped on that one. He, he grabbed it first. He's like, he, he asked me about, it. he's like, come on, you got to announce on my show. And I said, well, somebody wants to talk to me on a show. Sure. I'll do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Dave. No, he's great. And his, his show is good stuff. Um, but, uh, do you have a website or anything set up yet, Tom? Or? No, not yet. Okay, no, not that's yet. fine. I'm just getting rolling with yeah. that. Um, You've got a lot of time. It's I announced a couple of weeks ago, the very short version is, I had a friend start chemotherapy on Virginia, so I flew out there. I unfortunately have a lot of experience in taking care of people with chemo, going through chemo, mm -hmm. so went there just to coach his family through the first week. And then I just got back here and now I'm finding my footing, talking to the donors, yeah. trying to get the website together and talking to you. Yeah. Perfect. No, that's awesome. Well, we will uh, share any of your stuff out obviously. And if you want to come back on, let us know. Um, I actually extended, I think this was great. I think it's always yeah. good to have different opinions and have discussions. I think conversations and bounce stuff off each other. Um, and, um, you know, and, and especially with all the issues going on, especially around, Seriously. especially around education, and put, uh, if you could put uh, by this podcast today, prove that you can put subjects in a digestible manner, right? I, not everyone follows the education 
bills and stuff, but mm. they're super important. Yeah. And overall, the importance of keeping kids in Wyoming to go to the University of Wyoming to extend and then keep those talents in state is important. So kind of starts with these bills and starts with the decisions at the top that yep. will influence these decisions five, eight, 10 years later. So yeah. I really appreciate this. I learned a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I get to learn things about blockchain. I'm pretty new to that myself. Yeah. No, all right. Was- we'll put all of our course materials so anyone can review it. Just to- <laughs> <laughs> Go to Cryptonomics now on the website. Yeah. Perfect. Well, uh, guys, that is about it.